Welcome to Bickering Peaks, the uh, podcast featuring a duo that wants to formally volunteer for jury duty during Chad's eventual trial for drug trafficking or whatever other illegal activities he's into. We would if we weren't Canadian, obviously, and if yeah. that was a real thing that was actually happening in the yes. real world instead of fictional. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I just want to convict him. Yes, That's everybody all. does, and he will go to jail for many, many years, I'm sure. Um, but this is actually a Twin Peaks podcast that has two peaks of love for this show peaks aiden of... and Lindsay. what those are the peaks we're the peaks we're the peaks of are love you, are you calling me a poindexter <laughs> no pointy head pointy head yes i will take that i think our brains are still a little bit mushy mm-hmm. from uh from well, that, watching last night pretty good evidence. Yeah. episode uh for those of you who tuned into our live cast on twitter you saw evidence of that mm-hmm. <laughs> where we tried to form coherent sentences and failed spectacularly mm, pretty much yeah. um we had a lot of fun doing that though i think mm-hmm. we're going to try and do it next week yeah, but cool. um maybe a little bit later than what we did this time because yeah, maybe after game of thrones yeah we can, yeah spread it out a little and because I know some people, thoughts, yeah. some people were were disappointed they couldn't tune in because they were watching Game of Thrones. So, um, and also, people, I'm so. <laughs> I'm hearing uh, that maybe next week's episode is longer than an hour. Oh, um, which would be interesting mm-hmm. if because we we'd heard we've had some that are less than an hour, some that are right on an hour. We mm-hmm. haven't had any that are dramatically over an hour. This one apparently might be up to seventy minutes long. That's what the uh, one of the streaming sites that already has it the details the details up okay say it's 70 minutes long so that might be the situation interesting okay um before we get started i want to say that we uh we just found out on twitter um maybe a half hour ago or so that i guess rumors and um spoilers for the end of the return have started to surface on reddit and other places but mostly i think it started on reddit as a result of some russian hacking or russian um illegal sites or something yeah Yeah, something like that so um just fair warning to everybody out there to keep your eyes peeled we've got you know a few more weeks left or eyes closed better advice yeah uh but we do have a few more weeks left before the finale airs and it would be really sad if if people were spoiled and didn't want to be Mm -hmm. so um yeah this is our psa for the evening there you go and also, we are recording in our living room. There might be a bit more echo, and the cats might make a bit more noise. So We're doing this because one of our cats was just stung by a wasp, and we kind of want to keep an eye on her in case she starts to swell up or something. And Foam at the mouth. Yeah, this so. is, for, for listeners, loyal listeners who are familiar with our podcast, you know that Audrey is the one who causes the most trouble. She was the one who was stung by the wasp. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, while trying to eat it. While think. trying to. Trying to play with it. Yeah, she's not the <laughs> smartest one. No, but uh, anyway, yeah. so yeah, what, now that we've got the housekeeping yes. out of the way, um, we are for those of you who, who didn't watch our, our live stream last night and didn't get our impressions, Aiden, what did you think of last night's part 14 of Twin Peaks, The Return? Wow. <laughs> wow is a good summary. It was a really just amazing episode to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, there weren't that many scenes. It was only, you know, maybe seven, eight scenes total, but... They packed a wallop, every single one of them, and uh, it was really, I mean, it was just visually great to watch. Mm-hmm. The sound design, again, stellar. 
Um, it moved some plots along. It connected some plots that previously had not been connected. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps set in motion a big episode 15. Yep. Um, but it also just, yeah, it was just, it was really interesting. I mean, it's it's making these connections, but maybe also uh, obfuscating and confusing things. Yeah. Like it's adding extra elements really late in the game here yeah. that are, you know, maybe never going to be resolved. Um, but it feels so great watching them. I, yeah. I literally have very, very few complaints about last night's episode. Yeah, I feel the same way that um, I, I think I was holding your hand for most of the episode. Yeah, we were just I was so like, I was riveted. Thrilled, it felt yeah. like. Um, I'm, I don't know if it's better than part eight, but it's it's definitely tied with part eight mm-hmm. for best episode. So I think far, yeah. I think it surpasses part three for me yeah. um, because I think for for a couple of reasons, like like you said, visually and um, with regard to sound design and everything, it um, it definitely is a standout in that mm-hmm. area. Um, but also, I think because of the way that it deals with the mythology, mm-hmm. now that that's literally coming home, it's not just Agent Cooper and the FBI who have had experiences with the supernatural. We've seen now residents, average everyday residents of Twin Peaks, getting sucked into vortexes and vortices. Yes, vortices. 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 My Latin is good. You're excellent. Um, Excelente. Uh, yeah. Latin. So, <laughs> not Latin at all. <laughs> no. Um, so it's, it's like this amazing culmination of like looking back on, we watched an original episode, yeah, uh, yesterday we waiting, yeah. and it's just, it's so thinking far back at what, where those characters were, yeah. I mean, and then knowing now where, I mean, Andy mm-hmm. has now become maybe one of the most important characters of the Twin Peaks family mm-hmm. in the city of Twin Peaks or the town of Twin Peaks. So um, that's not something that we would have guessed for a character who's been cast as the fool. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it's not unexpected. It's not time. unexpected at all. Uh, um, and that's, that's, yeah, it's a dramatic turn. Well, and he's been set apart now from, from the rest of the investigators. Mm-hmm. He's someone who has been where Agent Cooper has and yet yeah, has this special knowledge um we'll talk about it when we get to the scene in the woods but yeah it's um he's definitely been elevated in some way yeah um which is fantastic i think that's just well a wonderful turn for exactly and a wonderful turn for the series i mean it's just Mm -hmm. it's continuing to take these these right angles that we do not see coming yeah um but they somehow feel right you know of course andy is the pure-hearted one who's going to go to potentially the white lodge or some place some supernatural place because he is pure of heart and, and innocent and and a positive individual. Yep. He has no evil in his heart. No. Um, and so it makes sense in a, in a strange way, but you didn't see it coming until it happened. And then yeah. it, it was there. So, yeah, I I mean, the, just in all the ways, in all the ways that television can work, this episode was just stellar. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. What happened to us back there? So the first scene, we open up with uh, Gordon calling Lucy, which mm-hmm. is a nice little callback to the original series. Um I wondered why Lucy was calling him Director Cole because she said it seems like they haven't spoken in many many years and and he's been promoted to be yeah director. deputy director or whatever yeah. um, um, when when she first knew him he was just the regional bureau chief so true. it it was kind of odd to me but but I mean I'm not going to stick on it too much no and I mean Frank called him sure, initially yeah. right so potentially he had her find out his number and his of title course. and everything so Lucy might have just kept up kept up to speed on him or whatever but yeah. 
Um, but that is, yeah, exactly what happens is he's returning Truman's call, but he thinks it's Harry Truman. And mm. we get uh, a little interesting, um, another interesting conversation about Harry's health. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring this up because there there are a lot of notable absences in the, se- in the return. Mm-hmm. Um, Harry being one of them, Philip Jeffries being another, Annie being a third. Mm-hmm. And the different ways in which these absences are dealt with I think are really, really interesting mm-hmm. because Harry and Philip are not on screen, but they're constantly referred to. Mm-hmm. Annie's not on screen, but we've had one mention of her and it was a very glib, dismissive reference. And she mm-hmm. is arguably one of the most in- interesting and important characters to Agent Cooper's fate, mm-hmm. right? So I was wondering if there's something to that, if there's a hint that that maybe the way these characters are being talked about is... is um, Going to, yeah, if it's going to mean that they have a larger role to play going forward. Because, I I mean, okay, you've watched the episode, so spoiler alert isn't really necessary. But we get get Philip Jeffries in this episode. Um, It's a flashback to Fire Walk With Me, but David Bowie is here, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that we've long been waiting for. Yeah. Uh, does that mean that since he's he's played such an important off-screen role, he's been referenced so much... And then he finally shows up. Does that mean that we're going to get Harry at some point? Because he's been referenced so much and everybody's been talking about how sick he is. Mm-hmm. And and on the flip side of that, does that mean that Annie, and not being mentioned hardly at all, is she not going to show up at all? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, she's not on the cast list. Neither is Michael Ankian. Right. Or David Bowie, but right. David Bowie has now. Exactly. In the credits, at least, made an appearance. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it kind of breaks things wide open in terms of, of that uh, kind of behind-the-scenes stuff yeah um regarding the cast list like what what else what other surprises are we going to have in yeah. store there's still going to be some i mean i am i'm not really interested if it serves the, pl- the plot in the story you right. be yeah. interested but just for a, a quick appearance it doesn't really interest yeah me no and i don't think it will be a fan servicey thing if it happens yeah. but um but it could be interesting to the plot yeah to think oh harry may have a piece of information that only he and Cooper shared. Right. And that could be integral to the plot. And that's when Harry shows up. Or like, that would one be theory that I saw last week was that possibly um, Harry is protecting Annie in some capacity and, and he's not really sick at all. Um, it seems a little bit fan fiction-y. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, stretch, there's, but yeah. there's, there are things that could happen. Um, now that we've seen David Bowie on, uh, even if it is a, a flashback, um, that's interesting to mm-hmm. me. And yep. I wanted to throw that out there to you, Aiden, and to our listeners to see if you had any further ideas. Um, the other thing about this scene that was really interesting is that um, Truman only mentions the diary pages. Mm-hmm. That's the reason he was calling Cole. That's why Cole is returning his call. Frank doesn't right. mention the um, the little metal rod. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mention the slip of paper. Which also referenced two Coopers. So, uh, and he even says at one point, I don't know any more than this, which is really interesting to me. So is this taking place before they found the metal? Yeah, I mean, it seems like he would mention Major Briggs if that was a major point, right? If if Major Briggs is part of the the uh, investigation so yeah but but the issue with that is that the timeline in the las vegas story doesn't match up because they bill hastings died sorry not las vegas the buckhorn yeah um bill hastings died uh at the end of september they Mm -hmm. they interrogated him on uh september 29th or 20th or 20th but i really (laughs) do think now that i've seen the the tail on the nine it's hard not to see that it could be a really sloppy oh 
uh, or zero, yes. but I I do think okay. it is a nine. So let's assume it's twenty nine. Yeah, then he that dies doesn't the next day. That doesn't leave a lot of time for them to have found. They would at this point they would have already had Frank and Bobby and Hawk have already got the metal rod. Mm-hmm. So um, the timeline is really messing with my head at this yeah, point. Th- let's let's try and not discuss the timeline. Yeah, no, I, I know. Really, I I feel like it requires an entire whiteboard. And it does. You're multiple right. pictures and you know conjecture and possibilities and and branching paths of how the timeline could work because I mean the show is not showing you it for a reason there's there's no clear connections here so i feel like wasting a bunch of time trying to figure it out except for to say that yes it is hurting my brain as well (laughs) i know and that's all i'm saying is i'm we're not going to figure it out right now yeah um here's bicker number one i guess if you want to say that no we're agreeing Uh, we're agreeing but (laughs) yes you're right we are agreeing we're agreeing but uh there are other people who are better suited. Eric Otterberg is one of the the people who's been going through and finding out some of the the uh, timeline details. So okay. um, he's someone to to focus on to, focus to talk on. to if you have yeah if you have ideas questions. And questions um, yeah. I'm curious to see what he comes up with after this episode yeah. or after part fourteen with regard so to that. Uh, so yeah, that's that's. Yep. It's really off of that scene. Yeah, it's it's actually really brief. We talked mm. about it quite a bit. But we go into the next scene, which is starts off with Albert giving Tammy the background on the first Blue Rose case. Mm-hmm. So he gives her the background on this murder in Olympia, Washington, and Lois Duffy, who was both murderer and victim, I guess, kind yeah. of in the thing. And the famous words that, I'm like the Blue Rose, which kickstarted the whole uh, investigative path, it seems like. Yeah. So Albert asks uh, Tammy... You know what? What? What's the important part of this this whole story? And she gives the thing. Well, what's what's the importance of the blue rose? And she also answers her own question, saying that blue rose is unnatural. It's uh, artificial creation, and therefore, it's it's kind of beyond she says the it's realm. Conjured. Of, yeah, conjured. Is, which is, is a great, the word that she is. Great word. To yeah, use. it's like it reminded me of. I thought she was going to say manufactured. Yes, to be honest. Of course, yes. Um, conjured makes a a, a magical More magical connection. Connection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's. A, it's interesting that he still seems to be quizzing her on this stuff. It's like she's she's such a newbie, I guess, that she needs to be. Well, yeah, th- this is what he's. They, so the previous two episodes ago, when he's when they introduced her into the mm-hmm. Blue Rose cases, he said, "I'll brief you in the morning." Yeah. So we can presume that this is the first of briefing, course. and so that's one timeline piece we can keep. Yeah. <laughs> locked away in the. This head is maybe. happening after the last scene. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Check. Clear. Yes. Got that one. Um. But yeah, so so the fact that she that she picks up on this this blue rose being conjured, um, and then she mentions the tulpa, mm-hmm. which is a, a mythological um, entity, I guess, yeah. or, or thing. I don't I don't and really it, know how yeah, to describe we, it. We kind of saw a couple different definitions. There's one that it's something that you create yourself, um, or you create. It's a, it's another personality that someone can create on their yeah, own. Yeah, or behalf. a thought form. Yeah. Is is is, is what yeah. is described in and it's in Tibetan mythology, which is interesting because we've got um, another direct callback now to Agent Cooper's interest in Tibet. Mm-hmm. But um so I'm reading this off of uh, <laughs> the Slenderman wiki, which <laughs> maybe isn't the most credible source, but I'm going to go with it. Um they're described as extra bodies that were created from one person's mind in order to travel to spiritual realms. Um, so it it makes me wonder if the travel to spiritual realms is the same thing as traveling to the the zone or the other, yeah, dimensions. The other dimensions. So yeah. every time that I happens, is there some kind of 
body created be, body created or does it does a body have to be created in order to do that mm-hmm. so are the people who are traveling around have they created a tulpa in order to do that mm-hmm. um i'm not sure how to answer that question i'm not sure it's answerable anyway and it probably won't be right now so i'm just yeah. gonna leave that as just an open-ended thing so i read a couple comments that uh people seem kind of convinced that um the blue rose the way it's described here is kind of uh, indicative of um, the fact that all Blu-rays cases have to do with doppelgangers yes. and other things. Um, I think, I, it's think a, I sent you that article. Yeah, you, yeah, you did. Yes. Yeah, it was a Reddit article. That's right, a Reddit post. Um, and it's it's an interesting take for sure that... that um, if a Blue Rose blue means rose, that it's conjured, that means that it, the doppelganger was conjured in some way. And yeah. That, that that's what all Blue Rose cases mean. Have to do with yeah. doppelgangers and, and conjured individuals. Yeah, I, I thought that was more interesting. You thought it was kind of... Yeah, uh, no bullshit. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, no, not bullshit. Just I think it's a little limited because a uh, in the earlier description Albert gave of the Blue Rose files, it was that it was I think it was described as uh, where regular investigative patterns will not work, and you have to go beyond right. and you know do an X Files type thing, right? Sure. Um, which doesn't def- necessarily mean doppelganger. Also, uh, you know, the first time we see a Blue Rose is just a Teresa Banks murder. There's no evidence of any doppelgangerism right. at all in the that initial we know of. Yes, it's just, but this is this is where the theories can go into fan fiction, where you start okay. to invent the things that yeah to fill to in the fill gaps, in the you gaps. Create, so, yeah, create your theory, um, and then you're like, oh, but these other things that we've never actually seen on screen, yeah, support it. And it, I mean, it's potential. There's, I mean, there's still four hours that that could be exposed, um, but I still feel like the blue rose is just anything beyond. Uh, yeah, standard investigation. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I think that it's more closely linked with this idea. I think the blue roses are are um, definitely related to the idea of doppelgangers. Mm-hmm. Maybe first and foremost, in addition to other things, maybe they've branched out over the years. But I think, I think the clues that we're being given here, and the number of, I mean, just from the title Twin Peaks down, down the way to mm. all the the. the the striking amount of twins and doubles, doubles and, and doubling that we see, uh, I think that has to be important. So um, I'm going to disagree. Bickery. Politely bicker. Yes, sure. Bicker like Canadians. Sure. I will accept your bickering. <laughs> um, and it's, so this scene continues. Uh, Diane enters. Wearing before her green before top. Diane enters, oh, yes, we no. get the window cleaner. Yes. And I have no fucking idea what that's all about. <laughs> But it seems really important. It does seem really important, doesn't it? It's like it's like this interruption in the, the flow of their meeting that is very deliberately focused on. And it interrupts with Gordon's hearing aids, which I think are really important. And I still, I mean, I kind of forgot that they were a thing. But this reminded me of the scene in part three. No, sorry, part four. When um, yeah, Albert's Albert and Gordon and are on the, yeah, the tarmac. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because part four and part 14, now there's a parallel there. A lot of people have been pointing out the parallels between the single digit and the, the teen mm-hmm. digit. Um, to match, yeah. The, the matching or corresponding teen episode. Mm-hmm. But um, but it makes me wonder if this is some kind of lodge interference in Gordon's... If, if you know, and, and going into the next part of the scene where, or the part immediately after this, where... Gordon talks about his dream. It makes me wonder if he actually is the dreamer that he's talking about here, because this well, seems like an, an an intervention that changes the the course of the 
but not enough like as, as soon as the window washer goes away it's like nothing has happened mm-hmm. and that feels very dreamlike very too. dreamlike so yeah. it's like this creature just shows up and does this weird thing that is painful and hard to watch and, and then it's forgotten about. and then it's forgotten about yeah. um and yes. to go to lead into that i mean so diane enters after this mm-hmm. gordon kind of uh, invites her in and we noticed, well, we didn't notice, other people noticed, and we watched for it this time, that um, Albert and Tammy are blinking backwards in this scene. Yes, it's just a very quick shot after Dan's talking about her her uh, estranged half-sister, mm-hmm. who is Janie, big plot reveal there. Um, and yeah, you get a quick shot of, of Albert and Tammy blinking backwards. So I, I only bring that up now because because is it related to the fact that this window cleaner has been there? Mm. Um, Leave or is it now. is it related to Diane's entrance into the room? Yeah, the, the blinking be. backwards thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it a reference to the other times that we've seen characters blinking backwards? I mean, notably Sunny Jim, Sunny who Jim. now we find out is is Diane's yes. nephew potentially. Yeah. Do you want? Let's talk about that. Okay. Let's talk about Diane and Janie because um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it came out of nowhere for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it feels a little too convenient. Yeah. But at the same time, there's just enough suspicion cast on Diane mm-hmm. at this point that perhaps it's not suspicious. Perhaps it's part of Diane's grand plan. Perhaps it's part of Mr. C's grand plan that yeah. they set up uh, Diane's sister with with uh, Dougie with Dougie in order to keep track of him and keep or tabs something. on him or something like that. I think that's. I, I mean, we just literally over the weekend watched. Um, all the episodes that we watched when we were in Paris, just on our nice big screen TV instead of the tiny little screen TV we had in our apartment there. Um, so seeing the way that um, her text about Vegas was received two episodes ago, mm-hmm. um, and then seeing it now so quick in, in quick succession, uh, really puts that into stark relief. Like this is part of some grand plan that Diane has. So I'm really suspicious. I'm... I don't know if that means that Janie isn't her sister, but I think that that it's not. Like, she knows. Obviously, she knows something else. Mm -hmm. The way that she looks at Gordon, very briefly, when she she says Vegas, she kind of looks at him out of the corner of her eye like, are you listening? Are you paying attention to me? Well, and and the way when she talks about the fact that they're strange, she mumbles it a little and she looks down. I mean, again, uh, she's just doing an amazing job of portraying this character with perhaps all these motivations and and oddities coming out. and just keeping us at arm's distance from them, but hinting at them in, yeah. in such a way that you're intrigued to, to find out more. Yeah. I mean, she still doesn't want to talk about what happened that final night with, with Cooper. and um, But she does admit that he did bring up major breaks. Yes. So, I mean, it's, it's for there. For what, whatever that is. Yeah, whatever is. that's worth. <laughs> really can't tell. Um, so, yeah. They, so, after confirming that uh, Janie and she are related, mm-hmm. um, they call the Las Vegas office. Yeah. Because she says... She lives in Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, we get a great little <laughs> short scene of the LA, uh, Las Vegas office getting this call um, and setting the wheels in motion at, you know, Cole's loud request. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one agent just freaking out. It's at, Stan from Mad Men. It's Stan from Mad Men. Which, which I can't, I just, I just loved, I squealed when I saw that. It's just true, great. Like, That's him from Mad Men. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and he's just, you know, telling his his colleague that this is what we do in the FBI. We find people. We find things <laughs> that are hidden, and it's, yeah, it's great. Um, um, Aiden, you notice that it seems like that scene is a bit looped, too, when he pounds on the desk. Well, yeah, just the part. action of mm-hmm. pounding on the desk looks like it's either looped or just he just did an immaculate job of repeating himself. Um, no idea if that's 
significant. Yeah, significant in any way, but I noticed it. Other than if it, if it's not significant, then this is just a funny scene that um, that does will hopefully lead to the FBI tracking down. Yes. Now that we know the Las Vegas Police Department isn't is going to be following much. up on the fingerprints. Uh, it does. It seems like a weird thing to not mention that Douglas Jones and his wife, Janie E. Right. Um, no, they said Mr. and Mrs. Douglas, Douglas Jones. Jones. So it feels like it's just a way to stretch out that storyline a little bit. Maybe. I hope that's not actually what it happens. I hope that, you know, that supervisor there is quite good at his job and yes. does locate the correct Douglas Jones. And Well, uh, it is Stan, though, so... Yeah, he was never the best in Mad Men. But maybe if he married <laughs> Peggy, then it's fine. Maybe she, like, slapped some sense into him. This is the crossover fic that Lindsay's writing right now. <laughs> in my head <laughs> in right, right now. Head, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyways, back in uh, Buckhorn, they kick Diane out, basically saying, thanks. They don't kick her out. She well, leaves. they're like, yeah, no, but they say, thanks, you can leave now, Diane. Yeah, I guess. Um, and then this is when... Uh, basically... Arguably the most interesting part of this episode. Yes. Well, no, maybe not. I don't know. It's the first of many interesting scenes. It is Cole recounting his dream about Monica Bellucci. Another Monica Bellucci dream. Right, yes. That's just great that she is his muse to discovering the truth of the world is Monica Bellucci. It would work for me too. Um, <laughs> and it's it's just amazing how riveting the scene is for basically him just narrating what you're already seeing on the screen, which is a black and white rendition of his dream, mm-hmm. meeting her in Paris, having coffee, um, and then she gives him some inf- information. But... I think the music adds most of oh, the yeah. tension to the scene. It's this deep, brooding, kind of pulsating music mm-hmm. um, that just kind of keeps you riveted to, again, yeah, a very basic kind of storytelling. But it's, it's interesting that it's a dream. And we've talked about Lynch's fascination with dreams. But the way that he presents this dream yes, is very the, different very from different. the way that he does other dreams. Like, this is narrated. That The first thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, none of the other dreams that we've seen in any of his other films or on Twin Peaks are narrated. Um, It has the kind of dream logic thing going on for it, but there's no, like there's a narrative to it, Mm -hmm. which is so unlike Agent Cooper's Red Room Dream Mm -hmm. or... um, Yeah, even where we get instances like that where someone does describe it after the fact, like I had this dream where this happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, to, to actually see it happening yeah. too and to feel that still that dream logic apply. Like when Monica Bellucci looks over his shoulder and he feels this dread and he knows he has to look over the shoulder. Yeah. That's just something that happens in a dream that you get these these clues and these instructions on what you should be doing next right. in the dream and then the dream forces you to follow through with them. Yeah. So seeing it and then having him describe it um, well, is not very only, different. Not only describing it, but he repeats everything that she says. Yes. So we hear Monica Bellucci say it, and then we hear Gordon Cole say it. So repetition, which is obviously important, but mm-hmm. also um, the fact that like, I don't know what it means that he is recounting it perfectly. Well, because I could, nobody recounts their dreams perfectly, but but yeah. Gordon can. Well, I feel which like which makes Gordon's... me think it's not a dream. It's maybe more than that. More than that, exactly. Um, so. It, that that opens up a whole bunch of other questions like uh who are the other people she has two friends with her mm-hmm. one of whom looks suspiciously like the guy who's in the the glass box photo that tammy oh, brought up oh yeah i forgot about that um i didn't even look at him but with, okay with mr c but mm-hmm. he does kind of look similar um it, it's it's kind of meta in a sense that i guess david lynch has a gallery or or put on a a show i maybe it's always there but it's right next door. And mm-hmm. where 
where Cole turns to look is he's looking at his gallery. So there's mm-hmm. some interesting stuff there, maybe uh, commentary on the creative process and how um, your art or he's your creativity your or that it comes to you through dreams, mm, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but the fact that when Gordon turns around and looks and sees himself as a young man, 25 mm-hmm. years earlier, um, and it's, it's a scene from Firewalk with me. I think it's either the identical scene or it's a scene from the missing pieces, but it's, it's yeah, it's um, the pieces of that. Yeah. Yeah. Together there, yeah. Uh, that is, that was absolutely riveting. And, well, especially for someone who, you know, we loved that scene. We talked about that scene in our Firewalk With Me recap mm-hmm. nonstop. And in The Missing Pieces, I think I droned on about that scene for like 25 minutes because it seemed so important. And yes, here it is again. You know, right. this is, uh, it's Jeffrey's pointing at Cooper and asking, who do you think this is here after we know that there's a doppelganger? Mm-hmm. We know that he's trapped in the Red Lodge or in the Red Room at least. Um, and yeah, and so to have it appear here again, after Monica Bellucci has indicated that we're like the dreamer who dreams and lives inside the dream, and then perhaps implicated uh, Cole as the dreamer. Right. It's not clear about that. But then to come across this important scene that itself felt like a dream. Mm-hmm. When when we first watched it, we described that, you know, Cooper's there's two Coopers again yeah. in that in that scene. Yeah. Um, we wrote it off as as dream logic at the time. That of course, yes, Cooper could exist in two places at the same time if it's a dream. Um, and then you know, you had Philip Jeffrey's comment about living inside of a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, no, yeah. <laughs> this is the most meta because it's it's uh, Cole talking about a dream he had in which he looked over his shoulder and saw another dreamer of himself. But talking, <laughs> talking to about, Cooper who about had a dream. a dream. Yes. With in which it, Jeffrey's talks about a dream. Yes, and living inside of it. It's it's so Inception. Yes, it's, it's beyond Inception. Beyond, it, yeah. Like, people who didn't get Inception, I never got that. It seemed pretty straightforward to me. But this level of mm-hmm. meta-dreaming, yes, I totally get how this is confusing. Um, so again, it kind of sheds perhaps some light on my pet theory, which is that um, we access other worlds and they appear to us as dreams. Yeah. And then the world that we actually inhabit is real but mm-hmm. if someone else came into our world it would to them appear to be a dream right um which and, which is interesting because we're getting into perhaps the idea that because what happens at the end of the scene is that cole says i remember this now yeah he now remembers philip jeffrey's appearing in the room and saying do you know who this is here yes. and then albert says the same thing but how he says it is yes beginning to remember that too like what does that even mean that you're beginning to remember something memory like okay first of all just on a basic front up level this is not the kind of thing that you just forget yeah if one of your former colleagues disappeared and then showed up in front of you and and, and disappeared again, disappeared again <laughs> you remember you that would remember day. that you would that not would not be this. something that you would forget and then begin to remember but saying it that way that i'm beginning to remember it it's like this is the start of the memory mm-hmm. albert and gordon didn't have that memory before this moment yeah and i'm wondering if that's because it wasn't this albert and gordon who experienced that if this was the dream albert and dream yes gordon. Who were experiencing that in another world, in another timeline. And Gordon just accessed that in his dream with Monica Bellucci. Monica Bellucci is the person who who takes you in between the worlds. 
Um, so convoluted. I love then, it. Then in by accessing that dream, he, I, to paraphrase and to use John Thorne's language from Twitter, downloaded it into his own memories. And now Albert has it downloaded to his as well because he was there in the dream. Mm-hmm. That, I mean... What the fuck? Yeah. Right? That's yeah. that's incredible. I mean, this is one stretched interpretation of what's going yeah. on in that scene. Um, but it is it is it's in it's purposefully forcing you to try and analyze realistically the dream world. Yeah. In any way. Yeah. However you view this scene, it's trying to make you make sense of dreams. Well yes. it's this is this is not ambiguous. No. This is absolutely we're told this is a dream. Yes. So you know, I feel like we, we're probably not getting it right. This is probably not exactly what's actually happening, but it's it's our theory that has kind of lined up with what we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like this is what's so great about this, the return, is that it's asking you to ask these questions all the way, and sometimes very outright like this. I don't think there's any way you can watch the scene and not wonder, what the hell's going on? I'm going to try and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's just incredible. Like, to have a series where it can force you to do that um, on a level that no other TV show has ever kind of yeah, I, I'm I'm finally starting to feel the depression of what the hell are we gonna do when the show is over? What are we gonna watch on Sundays? Yeah. There's nothing else on TV that we're just gonna have to rewatch this until yeah. well, the next thing the comes out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's what they planned on the whole time. Wait another 25 years. Okay, so uh, the next scene brings it back to Earth a little bit. Yep. We get to the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department. Bobby has brought in four sandwiches from the Double R. Um, three meat and one just plain cheese, which is Andy's. For Andy's, of course. Uh, then Truman brings Chad in, and they arrest him. They arrest him right there. But Aiden, you brought up something interesting, that they don't tell him. They don't relay the charges. They don't tell him what he's being arrested for. And, they and, say, and you should asks. know. Yeah, he asks. And he's like, what is this all about? And they said, I think you know, or something like that. Yeah. Um, and that's that's interesting it because interesting. It, it floats the law. You you know in the in the United yeah. States of America, you have you no have Miranda rights. rights. You, yeah. you have to you know inform people of their rights, but when they're being arrested, mm-hmm. if they've asked what they're being charged for, I'm sure that that's something that, that well, you yeah. would be that information would be given to you. Yes. So why is it not being given here? Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's again purposely mm-hmm. obfuscating either a when this is happening, mm-hmm. although it seems very clear when this is happening. Um, it's probably happening on ten slash one. But, you know, what I think it's obfuscating mostly uh, the other timelines that are happening in Twin Peaks. Right. The whole Richard thing, mm-hmm. uh, Miriam, and uh, the boy being run over. Right. Uh, presumably, Chad's been covering that up the whole time. Right. And, you know, they've, they've either just caught on to it now or they've known it for weeks already. Right. You know, it's really hard to tell when those other things are happening. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mess. It's a real mess. Um, but, yeah, it could be nothing. It could just be that they just, that sounded cool when they were writing the dialogue. But anyways, they lock up Chad. He threatens them the whole time. Of course, he's saying they're making a huge mistake, blah, blah, blah. Um, Truman is wearing two belts in this scene. Yes. And I wanted to know, um, has he been wearing two belts all along? I didn't notice. But I noticed it very clearly here that he's wearing two belts, just like his brother used to wear. Mm -hmm. Could be nothing. Could be. But I liked that 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 was was put out there. Mm -hmm. Um, we follow these four, the, uh, the four musketeers, the bookhouse boys. The bookhouse boys. I'm just assuming that Bobby's a bookhouse boy now at this point. Oh yeah, point. I think so. Uh, 
And they go off into the woods with Bobby leading the way and they're going to go find Jackrabbit's palace. And it's beautifully shot. There's just these beautiful forest, um, lush green, the light shining through them. It's go- it's just gorgeous. Just it's so like well Pacific done. Northwest forests yeah. that Personified. we've all Love known and loved. <laughs> yes, exemplified, um, yeah. And uh, and it reminded us both a lot of the trek out into the woods to find Jacques Renault's cabin mm-hmm. back in season one. And, uh, but not so, filmed in Northern California. <laughs> not filmed in Northern California, yeah. or Southern California. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, filmed in, on location. Yeah. Uh, and they find the stump. It's this beautiful, mm-hmm. huge yes, stump, stump from, yes. from uh, a dead tree yeah. that Bobby recognizes right away. Yeah. And we zoom in on it, and it reminded it reminded me anyway of uh, the purple world and mm-hmm. the castle the that we that we come castle, up to. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it's it's again it's just all encompassing, a beautiful thing to watch. Mm-hmm. So they head off. Oh, they take some soil. Of course, they they have to take the soil from the area and put it in their pockets. Yeah. And, and then Hawk says two hundred fifty three yards due east. east, and they head off that way. Um, and Hawk leads the way. Yeah, and that's important, maybe. No, I think it is seconds. important because because as they head into the woods, it kind of gets dark, and they enter a glen where there's. Uh, I mean, this is where I started shitting my pants because yeah. the strobe light effect starts, and there's fog on the ground. And there's so electric clearly, yes, exactly. Yes, clearly, shit's going down. Yeah. Um. So we see, and it's very clear. They show many, many shots of of the order, which is Hawk, Truman, Andy, and Bobby at the end. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they the camera steadies and they enter this glen. The order switches, and it's Bobby, Andy, Truman, and Hawk. So it's exactly backwards. It's and it, exactly And reversed. it was literally the exact opposite shot that we just saw of Hawk walking by the camera first. Yeah, all heading of them into the walking glen. past the camera. Yes. And and so, so to have it inverted here was... I noticed it the very first time. I'm like, what? what? No, that's mm-hmm. that's not it. So again... This know. is not the, the final scene in part seven with the diner where it's quick, blink if you miss it. Yeah. Um, and everybody debated about whether this was a, a, a editing error, thing. An editing error. This or is not a continuity error. This was done on purpose. To it had to have invert been. it so purposefully because yeah. it's the exact opposite direction. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so my initial thing was, this is not the same group that we just saw. No, this, <laughs> this is a different is, timeline a different or a different. It's a different universe. Bobby, a different Hawk, a different Trim, and a different Andy. Um, but in any case, we follow this group in, yeah. um, and they find Nido right on the ground. Um, you know, next to a, a, yeah. a pile or a puddle of what looks like molten gold. Or I don't know if it's a puddle so much. Well, as it's, it's, it's like a, it's the same ring that you saw in sick in, in the sycamore trees at Glastonbury Grove. Mm. That was filmed, filled with black. Yeah. Quote unquote engine oil. Yeah. This is filled with something else. It's, yeah. it's, but it's gold in color. It kind of shines light up on Hawk's face. That's yeah, gold in he color. Looks down on it, yeah. There's also a single a sycamore tree. Yes. That's there. Up, yeah. Um, but the lush greenery around it and everything really calls to mind the season two, um, White Lodge moment mm-hmm. that Major Briggs, Major Briggs experience. experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes, it instantly made me wonder if that was what we're seeing is the entrance to the White Lodge. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that Nido is there. And uh, that she was in the purple world, which may be a gateway to the White Lodge. It could be. Well, seen, or it could be part of it. We don't really We don't really know where tell. this is, but the fact that she's shown up here and... After being thrown from the... Yeah, like ejected forcefully yeah, from yeah. that space submarine thing yeah. that, that Agent Cooper was on. Um, And she's her eyes are still closed, oh, it's, but it's there's still... It, it 
it doesn't look like the wounds on her eye. Like she has wounds on her eyes. She didn't have them before. Her eyes were just sealed over. But now she's like, sure? I'm almost positive I looked, that it wasn't. I watched part three again the other day. I think she's been injured in, in the it w- way it down. It wouldn't be surprising, yeah. And she, she she's looks a little doing, wounded, but, yeah, but well, she's, she's still naked. Talk. Yeah. She's chittering the same way that she did before. Mm-hmm. But she's alive and they, they decide to, well, they have to help her. They have yeah. an obligation to help her. But before that happens, Truman looks at his watch and realizes it's 2.53 and uh immediately that that portal vortex opens up yes. and uh they stare at it for a little bit we get some lingering shots of andy holding nido's hand yeah. uh, very tightly before he lets it go and he is blinked out of existence yes into and into the, the what we're calling the black and white the world. black and white world the fireman's home yeah we'll maybe oh yeah because that. we get firm confirmation that he's the fireman yes. he actually comes out and says i am the fireman yes so the giant's Five question marks walks in. Seven question, seven question marks, marks. Because it's one for each letter in oh, fireman. That makes total sense. Now, interesting thing. Well, it's not an interesting thing. It's an interesting question for you, Lindsay. Oh. Uh, the fireman, yeah. is he there to put out fires? Or does he play with fire? That does he is, control fire in that's some way? The, That's an interesting question. It's something that I'm... 99% positive my colleague over at 25 Years Later, Eileen, will be dealing with in her okay. poem this week. Okay. The difference between a fireman and a firefighter mm-hmm. is is interesting. Mm-hmm. So a fireman does... I mean, it's something we call we call them firemen. They're just mm-hmm. the people who deal with fires. But a firefighter is much more clear in yes. the job title. In what you're doing, yes. Um, the fireman does seem to be like... it's It's the person for whom... Fire, fire is, is the his part of his being. Yeah, perhaps, exactly. Or something like that. So yeah, that that does raise some interesting questions. And, However, and, I don't think he's mean or mean. He's not a mean man. No, he's not a bad person. <laughs> he's not a bad man. Yeah. I don't think he's evil. I think that he's he. We've established no, that. Established pretty clearly that everything he did with Laura and everything and, and what yeah. he's doing here with Andy. Um, he shows him. A, a video yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a vision of of all the things a lot of the stuff that we've already seen such as mother the experiment spewing bob out the birth of the woodsman mm-hmm. um yeah we see so. laura we see some repeats of of the girl running Screams through this pilots, the yeah. courtyard of the the high school yeah. um but we also see some things that we haven't seen before yes. uh like the scene of andy leading lucy somewhere yeah and it you looks like it's in if, the station it does kind of look like a hospital or something mm-hmm. institutional anyway. And and Aiden, you brought it up that Lucy doesn't look well. No, it looks like she's either pale or like she has very pale lips. Uh, she just, she looks ghostly. Yeah. Honestly, it looks like she's seen a ghost and she's just dumbfounded or she looks like so, a spirit of some sort. I, I wondered if maybe this was Andy showing Lucy the fireman. If maybe that's something he's showing... The fireman is showing Andy what is going to happen next, which is yeah. Lucy will be brought into this story at some point too. Mm-hmm. It could also just be that, you know, when you dream, you dream of the things that are important to you. So maybe this is Andy's dream and mm. he's dreaming of Lucy because she's important. We also get a shot of a phone on a desk blinking yeah. though, which we hadn't seen. I mean, there, there were other phones that look similar, but not that shot from that angle of right. that phone. But Whereas who do we associate with phones and blinking Lucy's lights is Lucy. Yes, so exactly. I think that that's just another but I, yeah, so symbol I, for ex- her. Yes, perhaps. But I think it's something we are literally going to see again. I yeah. think we are going to need that exact shot and we're going to be like, oh shit, something's going to happen yeah. now with Lucy. And I think we're going to see Andy putting Lucy in the hallway. Um, 
for what purposes i don't I, yeah. I don't know it's it's still i mean that was creepy to watch just to it was to see her and the way it was filmed especially in in the context of a bunch of other scenes that we haven't that we have seen before yes and then to see this one that we haven't seen was was disturbing it also made me wonder um there were a number of scenes that were in black and white and some that were in color. And and the last one is the most important one because mm-hmm. it goes from black and white. And so did the girl screaming in the courtyard yes. at the school. Started in black and white and fades to color. Fades to color. And the, but the last one is the number six pole that yeah. was originally in Firewalk With Me. And we've seen it at this point at the, the crossing, potentially, yeah. where uh, Richard killed the little boy. Yeah. Um, it was in Fat Trout Trailer Park. Fat Trout Trailer Park. Firewalk, Firewalk with me. So if it still is or not, it's up for debate. Yeah, but... we don't get any contextual shots of it. We just yeah. get it separate from everything else. Um, but here we get three kind of quick jump cuts closer to it, and they go from black and white to color. Um, no idea what that means at this point, but it sounds like maybe that's, I don't know, a progression. It's, I mean, the, the girl to running away. From... Yeah. That, but yeah, all the other scenes, well, that one scene, I guess is the only other one, that goes from black and white to color are gradual. And this was literally three separate shots, um, which some people have taken to mean that like 666, which is the number of the beast. But yeah. I, that maybe is a little too literal. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's that. I think it's just, you're supposed to focus that this, this the, I mean, the telephone pole has always been connected with, yeah. And supernatural and bad things happening. You think about what happened with uh, Chet Desmond. Yes. Uh, after he approached the number six pole, um, you know, disappearing and everything. So I think this is just supposed to be an ominous mm-hmm. portent of, of what's to come. And we kind of get a hint of that um, once Andy finishes well, his vision. No, Sorry. just wait, yeah. because there's some other things that he sees that we skipped over. Like the, no, the yeah, fact yeah. that, that we, he sees Cooper as one and then oh, split into two. Oh, yes, we do get that one. Which is... It's vitally important because mm-hmm. he's the first person to see both Coopers mm-hmm. at the same time. Yep. And that has to be important. That it's, well, and it that starts it's Andy off, who does it. Yeah. Yeah. And it starts off as one Cooper vibrating and mm-hmm. shaking and then they separate. Yeah. And both of them are looking in the camera. Yeah. And, and it's and it's a flipped image. They're flipped. It's like the, 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 the fingerprint that was flipped. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is literally an inversion. Mm-hmm. It's like the lineup that, of the guys when they were walking to the forest. It's an inversion of yeah. the other one. So... Um, so you've got this, this really, really interesting idea of twinning these characters, which if we didn't know that before, these are two halves of the same person mm-hmm. that have been split apart yeah. in the red room. And, and the way they visually show that is to have them semi-transparent. Yeah. Like they're not whole because they, they haven't come together as one yeah. into one person again. But even when um, they are one, they don't yeah, match up. There's, no, exactly. Because they're separated exactly. and, they're, and they're shaking and they're everything. But I think that visual uh, cue is important for mm-hmm. when we come out of Andy's dream. Um, but yeah, so Andy's anything else from within the... I mean, he sees Nido on the ground he again a couple times. He does see Nido a couple of times too. And, and it, that, it seems like it, at one point she says the word who, but mm. I don't, I can't hear it. Well, it's but, slowed down. But it's slowed down. Yeah. And that's why I thought it was important that we were going to finally hear what she was going to be saying. And so hearing the word who or the sound who, um, it yeah, made if, me wonder if she's an owl. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because if her eyes have been blotted out yeah. and owls have superb vision, vision yeah. um, maybe she's a, a physical manifestation, a, a, human, a human manifestation yeah. of an owl. Mm-hmm. Or the owl spirits. Or the owl spirits. Whatever it is. Yeah. And, yeah, and that, that could be a very good point. Although because owls later are on, connected with evil and Nido doesn't well, seem to be totally evil. Yeah. No, I, we don't really know much know, about her. And we don't know much about the owl spirits. I yeah. mean, they've, they're ambivalent really is what it comes down to. We can't tell if they're good or bad. They're not what they seem, but 
that just means maybe they're not just pure owls. Well, anyways, they're not what they seem, and they seem like they're evil, so maybe they're not evil. Exactly. That so, could be it. And this comes up again because we do see Nido later on, and she's making more cawing, birdish sounds. Um, I thought they sounded like monkeys, but I, I okay. fully accept it okay. could be birds. But sure. yes, no, absolutely. The the link, I, I'm just throwing it out there, could be that she is some kind of bird-like mm-hmm. representation. Spirit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, the other thing that, that, I don't know if you were going to bring up, Aiden, but the, the smoke mm-hmm. that Andy uses or is used to grant this vision to Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, you made an interesting point that it seems, I mean, the, the scene is obviously filmed backwards, so we get this dissipated smoke that condenses and comes down into Andy's lap. And you thought that was kind of like a crystallization almost of his of his mind, like the clarity of what he's about to see visually represented with the smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was really interesting. But but knowing that it's the opposite, that it was filmed the other way and it's the it it looks like an incense holder that he's holding in his lap mm-hmm. that is releasing this smoke and that's what provides him with the vision. vision. Yeah, but then at the end, it does re-enter it back does. into his but, but it But the whole idea of, of incense being used as like a ritualistic pathway to spiritual mm-hmm. uh, well, enlightenment or something. Well, it fits in with the whole Dr. Jacoby and drugs doing, providing the same yeah, thing. Yeah, and, right? and the Catholic symbology. We yeah. saw a, a, an image of Laura flanked by her angel. Two angels, A yeah. mirror image of her angel. Mm-hmm. Um, again, very interesting, a mirror image of her angels. There's two angels. Does Mm -hmm. that mean that there were two Laura's at some point? Mm -hmm. Um, maybe that's a stretch, but, but the (laughs) the Catholic symbology is what I was getting at is, you know, these censors are used in, in Catholic. I don't know why I'm explaining Catholic symbology to you. You're the one who went to Catholic school. For one year. For one year. Learned very little, but. But anyway, like the, the whole idea of incense being used during, um, during rituals in the church and, and in Eastern religion as well as Western religion mm-hmm. and all all over the world, incense in these kinds of things are used to kind of lead you on spiritual quests yep. or visions. So um, yeah, maybe it's... that's the way that Andy has to do it because Andy's not the kind of naturally gifted yeah, spiritual person that, that, go down that, path, that yeah. Agent Cooper is and or even Sarah Palmer the, is. The few seconds we get of him without the box at the end, it's sped up. And he's breathing very heavily. Like oh, he yeah. looks terrified almost. Yeah. Not scared, but he, he looks uncertain and he's not sure what's going on. Whereas yeah. when he's watching the vision, he's placid. Yeah. I mean, there's a few, there's a one shot right before the 666 uh-huh. where he looks a little scared. His yeah. mouth opens up and mm-hmm. he's perhaps a little terrified. Um, but for the most part, he's he's very calm as he collects all this information. And that's uh, reiterated when, he, when we leave the vision. Yeah. Um, so what happens next is very interesting. So I do want to go into it a little bit. We go back to Jackrabbit's palace. Yeah. So not to 253 yards east where yep. they found Nido, but to Jackrabbit's palace. And we get three copies, transparent copies of Bobby Hawk and Sheriff Truman uh, coalescing back into one location. Yeah. Um, and once all three copies of each of them uh, get together, they solidify. Mm-hmm. And they, they just stand there. And that's when Andy comes around the corner. One Andy. One Andy, semi-transparent with Nido, but then he eventually hardens into place, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then he instructs them, like, We need to get her down the mountain. She's very important, and there are people that want her dead. She's fine physically. We need to put her in a cell where she'll be safe. Okay. Don't tell anybody about this. Um, and so I think the fact that there's three of them is very, very, very important because I think there's one of them 
from the current timeline and uh, universe. Uh, I think there's one from 10 slash 2, October 2nd, from both universes. And those are the three people who come together back into that one moment. Why do you think there's not another one from another universe on 10-1? I don't know. Why would you go there? I don't know. That's just where my brain went. I'm I just sorry. think I just think it's three different universes from this one moment in time. It could but be. across three different planes. And I think the point is that is that all of these timelines are now starting to converge. I think mm-hmm. that's where we've been heading all along and that Twin Peaks Twin Peaks was going to be the locus of this conversion. Mm-hmm. Convergence. Convergence, yeah. Uh, that that all of these timelines are now starting to come together and that's why we've seen two versions of the diner you know, smacking into one another at the end of part seven and why we've had all the timeline mystery with with the stuff going on when, where, in what order, because we're seeing more than one universe. And that's what that visually, I think that's what struck me was that these were these were three universes or three timelines or multiple timelines just being represented by three brought together mm-hmm. in this one location. Yeah. Um and that's further strengthened by the fact that Frank and Hawk don't remember how they got there. They don't remember anything that happened before that moment. Which is very similar to uh, everything described in Secret History of Twin Peaks. Of, Absolutely. Yeah, of an alien encounter or something Of course. Like that. And, and comes back to what Gordon and Albert were talking about mm-hmm. at the top of the episode with not remembering and then beginning to remember things. Um, I, I really think that this is hardcore evidence of some kind of if not multiple timelines some kind of alternate timeline or reality shifting and coming yeah. into solidifying in one place yeah i think it's definitely a possibility and the fact that we're getting we're only getting our first really strong hints of that as an actual possibility mm-hmm. not just a fan theory yeah four hours away from yeah. the end is kind of terrifying because it could be that the final hour is when all these things converge well, i think that's get... exciting because that means that i'll have more to write about as a fan fiction author so i'm happy yes and i think it'll reward <laughs> going back and watching oh, and sure. trying to figure out which universe is happening when or what timeline or whatever the the differences are um you know trying to pick out which scenes are happening where and everything yeah. i think that could be really fun but at the same time i want a you little more conclusion i mean i think some of it could just happen in part 15 um because i really do think we're getting cooper back in part 15. I think you might be right. We'll see. We'll see. Let's talk about Andy really briefly. Because sure. at the end of this this section, he is he is Andy the hero. Yes, um, once again. He is completely forthright. He is strong. He is capable. He is like the Andy who shot Jacques Renault mm-hmm. at the end of season one. Yeah. Um, or the Andy who stormed in and talked to Dick Tremaine on the phone. Like, mm-hmm. this is... This is an Andy Brennan who knows what he wants and knows what he has to do mm-hmm. and steps up and does it. It's the, the thing he's been training for. And he absolutely nails this. Mm-hmm. The way that he that he takes charge is wonderful. And contrasting that with the the next scene, which is him acting kind of goofy and lovey dovey with with Lucy, it it I think indicates to me that I don't think he was in a trance state, but I think he was being moved somehow. Like he's with the, with the fireman telling him to do this and to, to take care of Nido in this way. Once that was done, he can go back to being the lovable goofy Andy who's Mm going to joke and flirt with, with his wife. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I think that's that's really telling that the same character can have two different sides uh-huh. in in such a short period of time. Yeah, and and it's great because after they so they wrap Nido in like a big bathrobe and kind of set her down. It's it, this is one of the most bizarre scenes in the show, which is saying mm-hmm. something because you have a woman who's blind and in a giant fluffy pink back bathrobe who can't talk, presumably. Um, and then down the hall, uh, they flock Chataway. Yep. Um, Who's who, yelling at and Andy, Andy for being an incompetent him. cop. Yeah, and then Andy, of course, gives him a stern talking to. Yeah, you know. wags his finger. Yeah, he would. must have been a great dad to all oh, of them, yeah, I have sure. to say. Um, but anyways, and then across the hall from Chad is this wrecked individual is what yes. I want to call him. They, they credit him as drunk mm-hmm. because I, th- I think that's just because that's what Chad calls him. Yeah. But I don't think he's just drunk. This is no. far too uh, weird. To Seems just be to me like, like he is an injured version of someone who's, who's come through like Dougie did. Yes. He's, he's repeating things that the other characters are doing. He, he copies Nido almost identically and mm-hmm. repeats everything that Chad and Andy say. Um, I think he's Billy. I do think that this is Billy. Billy he's bleeding from the mouth. Not well, he's not nose, bleeding. Though. I think that's engine oil coming from his mouth. <laughs> it looks like blood when it's coming from his mouth, but then when it hits the ground, yeah. it, looks, it has that orangey used oily yes. tint. Yeah, it's it's something. Um, but he's got some kind of injury to his face, to the side, like his left cheek. Or, or a growth coming out of his something. cheek or something. Um, his eyes are all wrecked. Like he just looks like... He's been I don't, I don't get why people think that he's Billy. Because the way Billy's described, A, it was two days ago. So if he's still bleeding, this guy's dead by now. Well, but we <laughs> don't know what what is what is happening. This is this is where yeah. the, the idea of, of conjuring and doppelgangers and stuff really becomes interesting. Because who's the other character we've seen recently who's been bleeding from the mouth or exuding something from the mouth? Who? The horror in the front seat. The little yep. girl who comes up and she's just spitting up all this gunk, right? Mm-hmm. What if she has also been replaced in some way and she's come so, out? So I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't I, that like might that. be a stretch, but but I'm looking at these two characters and I'm thinking, you know, we've only got four hours left. They're not going to introduce a whole new plot device that is, you know, like this is, we're supposed to notice these similarities. I really think that, and we're supposed to tie them together in some way. That this guy in the cell and that girl in the front seat are somehow being affected up. by the same thing. Sure, but I don't think they're manufactured. I don't think that may not be true. Yeah, but like I, I'm just saying it. It it matches up with the the only reason I say that is because he's talking the way that Dougie does. He's yeah. mimicking sure. what everybody else is doing, yeah. and that is something that we've attributed up until this point. We've attributed to Dougie, mm-hmm. Dougie Coop. So, yeah, is that enough? I, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I. I think you know the fact that everybody writes off dougie's impairment as a car accident mm-hmm. um as a as a result of a car accident or the cause of being caused by a car accident um says something because this guy looks like he was in a car accident he does look like he's been in a, um the little or girl been beat up anyway yeah okay well and the little girl was in a car accident she her mom or whoever that woman was who was screaming at bobby um rear-ended the the other Did truck. they rear end the truck? Well, I mean, potentially. They, they collided, at least. They were very close. It looks like maybe they, they did have a If not crash. a car accident, it was definitely a vehicular incident. Yes. And so, I mean, perhaps, you know, that's that's what they're getting at, is that these kind of incidents cause that kind of brain impairment. I, it really doesn't mm. make any sense. I just, I, I don't want to jump on the everybody's manufactured thing. I don't think everybody's that... manufactured, but I think <laughs> I think we have to leave the door open that some people other than Dougie have been manufactured. I 
don't think we have to do that. But um, I, I feel like Dougie's manufacturer is criti- manufacturing is critical to the plot. I think, you know, it would cheapen it to have everybody else also be manufactured. And I feel like it, it, you know, Dougie was manufactured for a very specific purpose that's integral to that plot. Yeah. Everybody else, if they're just being manufactured just to well, We don't know what those other plots are, feel. though, right? Like, there might be other plots that are going on that we're not yes. seeing because... True, true. But again, we're four hours out. Of course. I feel like we're not we going to see those plots. plots. We're, the, we, so why are they in there, then? To add the atmosphere, to add the sense of foreboding, and to add the dread, and to and to broaden the mythology to, to mean that everybody in Twin Peaks is being affected by something... That is sure. leading through from the other side. Th- that seems much more likely. I think these could be people who are or creatures or something that have now been yeah, affected by the other side. But I don't think manufacturing is is the correct oh, term. Oh, you're for so that. you're. I am. I'm fixating on, on this. I am because everybody is saying it. Because what's the alternative? Zombie apocalypse? No, I'm saying they they're they've lost their brains because half of them are in a dream world and so they're just standing there zombifying coming up spitting up mucus because their bodies can't control themselves because half of them bled into the other universe when a gunshot went off cuz okay. hatred opens the doorway and twin peaks is part of that doorway i don't know lindsay i'm just saying there's other things and also i don't like this is the billy thing because um i feel like they just credit him as billy perhaps but why would they do that? They, they, there are other characters that we haven't well, that we've seen. Well, and like Shelley not being given her last That's name true. until and, the end, and, so. and the fireman was question right? marks. So fair enough. fair enough, fair enough. Argument shut down. I win this bickering round. Oh, you're mad. <laughs> but the, I do love this scene for one reason. We finally felt for Chad. I didn't. Are you kidding? Fuck what the Chad. hell's going on in that scene? And he's like, care. "What the fuck is going on with you guys?" I was like, "Yeah, I feel it, Chad. There's a crazy woman." I think it. I think it's very bird-like, but it it, it definitely it sounds has, a little monkey-ish. It does, but, at, but at some points it does sound like a I think, parrot or something. I think he's uh, Billy. We'll call him Billy. Sure, if you want to do that. Thanks. Uh, I think he's kind of. He does it a little more gutturally, maybe, and it sounds like more of a monkey. But I mean, she sounds the exact same as she did in the purple room, where it's this well, it's kind louder. of like clicking and, and it's a little There's bit no louder. Clicking. I don't know where you're hearing clicking from. You know she's, me, I she's can't describe what chattering. I Chattering. Yeah, that's what they call it. It's, it's, it is bird-like. So we go to the Great Northern, we get a nice wide shot, and then we zoom in on a loading bay, and mm-hmm. we find out that James, Jimmy, Jimmy. Hurley, mm-hmm. and, and Freddie... Freddie. Uh, Sitting there, taking a break, waiting for shipment. And Freddie is the guy with the green glove. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to crack walnuts with his green glove and he's obliterating them. They just turn to powder as soon as he... So so, uh, James has to go and open these nuts and they have a nice little conversation. Uh, Freddie is from the East End of London Town, as he says with his Victorian accent. Well, first of all, the uh, James says that it's his birthday. Oh yes, that's um, right. It's and, Jimmy's birthday. And he, yeah, and yes, Freddie, how old he is? Freddie says twenty-three. And then uh, once Jimmy has said that it's his birthday, he he presses Freddie on. So you can't take that glove off, huh? Yeah. And then we get the story of 
Freddy's adventure to get this magic green glove. So I love this because we've just come from the woods and and Andy's experience with the firemen. So to have another character who Mm -hmm. has met the firemen and has been given orders from the firemen to do something very specific that then, I mean, I think that lends some great importance to Andy's character in in such an interesting way Mm -hmm. without directly referring to Andy. Um, It's, it's such a, it's a direct callback in this, Anyway, right? Yeah, like, yeah. To, to what we've just seen happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so Freddie has been given... He, he gets sucked up into the vortex one day uh, after Meets realizing that his life is meaningless and he should be helping people more, yes, which yeah. is really interesting, kind of interesting. For sure. Um, uh, he's told by the fireman to go to his to a gardening store and buy uh, one glove to fit on his right Because there'll be one that's open, a, bo- yeah. a bag of gloves so that's open. So he has to one. buy that one. And when he does go do that, he, this, yes. he gets stopped by the clerk. The Jobsworth. Yeah. The which Jobsworth. Is, Mr. Jobsworth is yes. what he calls him. And, and then the guy tries to stop him and he socks him. And potentially kills him, it sounds like. Like well, he broke if his he, neck or if something. He, yeah, if he punched him in the Gregory, broke his Gregory, which is Gregory Peck, which is neck, which is... Cockney yeah, Ryan's That that is the one thing about the scene that kind of bothered me was the accent seemed really. Uh, it was very put on. It was very put on. And the actor who played him, Aiden, yeah. found out is actually a, an accent expert or something. Well, he's the, he he's gained, famous on he gained fame, yeah, on YouTube for being able to do a bunch yeah. of really cool English accents. He is from England. He is from London. Um, I think he described it as he's kind of in the middle of a bunch of accents, mm. so his accent's kind of neutral. Um, but he definitely, he knows this Cockney kind of but accent. But it seems like it's pushed to a caricature level. Yeah. Like, it's not quite Dick Van Dyke well, and Mary Poppins. And I think but... it's, we both agreed, it was kind of, it was the dialogue that kind of did that. Like, yeah. it felt like Mark Frost, especially, maybe, was like, oh yeah, this is how Cockney I don't, no, 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 I don't think this was, I don't think this was Ernest. I think we were meant to, to feel how anachronistic this was. Because he does mm. sound like he's from Victorian London town. The East End, Jack the Ripper. Like that's that's the kind of language that you expect yeah. from 150 years ago or maybe not quite that long. Jack I, the Ripper was... Yeah, I, I, it, it's again, it's a little alienating. Uh, a little probably bit. Probably on purpose, but, but... And I do think it was on purpose. I don't think this was accidental. But, but, but it, it doesn't influence your appreciation of the story. No, it's a, It's a really interesting story. Just like Jimmy says, you know, at the end, he's like, But wow. he seems kind of incredulous. He's like... Okay. No, no, no. Have... See, I didn't. I thought. Ah. I thought he was very accepting. He's like, mm. wow, because he just jumps in. He engages with it right away to say, like, why did the fireman pick you? Like, why yeah, do you yes. think that happened? You know. And I mean, let's face it. James is is home to a lot of weird stuff that happens. Yeah, I'm thinking he's seen some weird shit. Yeah. So yeah, in his there's, time off. there's probably more to that. But in any case, the story ends and and it just like abruptly ends with. Freddie not being able to take off this glove and, oh, Jimmy, you better go check the furnaces. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Okay, sure, I guess so. (laughs) Um, But yeah, sorry, a few mm -hmm. other things that are worth mentioning in this scene, just from like a plot point of view, I think. uh, A, he has the green glove grants him, he'll be strong as a pile driver, I think is how he describes it. The power of a pile driver. The power of a pile driver. So that's why he's crushing walnuts so easily. Um, So that that makes you think that this is going to be used in some way. This is to get Mr. C, who has superhuman superhuman strength strength as well. So yeah, potentially this is is where I'm thinking the fireman is. Yes, the fireman. He's interested in fire, but he's he's trying to put this particular fire out Out, uh, by giving all these people um, sitting in motion. Yeah, and and one of the things that came up in our our live tweeting, our live uh, cast last night was the question of what other gifts has the fireman given to people? Uh-huh. Have, he, have he... 
Did he give Margaret her log? Uh-huh. Did he give Carl something in, you know, his magic whistle to blow VW vans to... No, I'm kidding, but... Uh, I'm not. That's an amazing power. <laughs> well, like, I mean, has he has he done this for other people, too? Mm-hmm. And are they all going to band together in some kind of Justice League to take down Mr. C when he well, comes to Well, I mean, it's, it's a definite possibility. I mean, and I've, I saw a complaint that I hadn't considered, but it's very... Uh, justifiable in a way is that they've they've kind of turned the fireman into a deus ex machina. Oh yeah, like he's just he set all these things in motion and he's gonna magically fix everything. He's, which is he's the deus ex trombone uh, machine spinner yeah, thing. <laughs> exactly, uh, but which is interesting because one of the great things about the original series that we both loved and Fire Walk with Me especially added was the moral culpability of someone like Leland mm-hmm. and the fact that these were characters forced and pushed into really, really difficult situations. And so when they reacted the way they did, when Laura chose death, essentially, Mm -hmm. it's kind of how we still interpret it, by putting on the ring and dying, um, that that revealed something very deep about her character. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, if everyone's just getting moved along uh, one step after another by a mystical force who's just kind of continuing and, you know, has control over everything in the end... Mm -hmm. It does cheapen it. I mean, we talked a bit about how, um, and after part eight, we were like, I was very strong in the opinion that I don't think it changes Laura's, uh, the the depth and meaning of Laura's story to have her having been created. Yeah. But um, if if that's not the extent of it, if it's also, you know, uh, the giant's also pulling a few strings over here and over there in order to uh, achieve this... um, on the whole, I feel like that does kind of reduce the story a little bit to really just the fireman's story. It's well, the fireman's, oh, here, oh, that Bob, no, I gotta get him back. No, I'm back on this because I think that, that we saw, if we're, if we're looking at multiple or alternate timelines here, I think we saw one timeline play out to a conclusion that now the fireman is going to try and, and put to rights. And we've said this all along that that he seems like some kind of balancing agent, that he's mm-hmm. not really in it for good or bad. He just has to restore balance. And somewhere along the way, balance got shifted in, in the direction of evil. So he has to guide it back towards balance again. He has mm-hmm. to put it into balance. And so in order to do that, he sends Laura back as the the gold orb and uh, gives Freddie his green glove and gives Andy the knowledge to help Nido. I mean, I think I think maybe that's that could be an interpretation that yes, it it is a little bit god in the machine, but it's I don't know. I I feel like it's not as if it's a correction, if it's a course correction okay, to okay. something that sure, that sure. happens. I, I get where you're going. It's it's a grand course correction, but I'm saying about at a character level. It cheapens the experience of but each I, individual character. And I, I grant you that, but I think that this season, I think the return is less interested in the characters than it is about this story. I think mm-hmm. the, the... the Yeah, no, I agree. And, I, no, and that's the thing. That's what hurts me about this. Because uh, Fire Walk With Me especially was a character it story. Was. That it was also had, story. Yes, that also had supernatural elements yes. and all this stuff going on and you know raised a lot of interesting questions. Whereas here, we, and we talked about it with the cast, this was one of our concerns at the very start of the thing. Like, how are you going to have 280 characters or whatever it was um, and have them be meaningful? And the answer is, we haven't really. We've had shortcuts to meaning through subverting uh, our expectations of a character, but we've never really developed a really no, great character. No, because for... these, these characters are being brought in to service the plot. Exactly. And that 
and isn't, that's, no, it, it's, it's not, not your favorite thing. No. That's fine. But it's, well, it's I, making an interesting story. You're no, still engaged yes, with it, right? Absolutely, so it's not absolutely. failing. No, well, no, I, no, it's doing exactly what it, what it's meant to do. And I, to that, I give it all credit. Um, it's just, it was, it's a little disappointing to see, uh, to see the characters that we did know and fall in love with and have felt some depth for, um, perhaps be simplified to the point that they're, uh, their arc is not as cohesive and expressive and I'm, as I'm again going to push back on this just because I think the fact that we've seen these characters grow up and develop means that we can put them in these situations and have them tell a, a larger story on, on the scale of the plot. We don't need their characters to be um, deepened because we've got the characters already, okay. already set up. I'm um, not saying it's, it's the greatest, but I mean, it, it's working and I'm enjoying it. Yeah. And I think that the the plot is is and the mysteries that have been brought up are more interesting than, yeah, than the character yeah, based soap opera dynamics that we were dealing with in season one and two. Sure. Okay. I will accept that explanation. So down in the furnace room, mm-hmm. James Jimmy goes to check out. Uh, I, I guess he's been sent down there to check out the ringing noise. I'm thinking that's what that's what this oh, is. Oh yeah, maybe because we do get it. We right do away. get the rain noise in. right away. He walks through this room and there's a just a wall of switches that mm-hmm. that reminded me of the switches that we saw in the the purple world or the lavender world and, and the black and white world that the giant walks right. through. Right. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So he walks by this panel and gets to a room that instantly reminded yes. me if it's not the exact same scene or exact same shooting location it's been built up to look like it um the the place where bob was when in the international pilot uh mike they, they, and yeah they caught him and, and mike Harry shot. and cooper yeah. find him and, in the yeah. ring of the the pile of dirt and the ring of candles yeah. and everything like that now Which, the international pilot is not considered canon no and so it's fine that 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 location was supposedly the basement of calhoun memorial hospital and this is the basement of great the great northern so i guess we can be okay with the fact that it's not the same physical location but the room it looks very similar does it not and here's why i think that is if you recall that shot was used for something in the yes it was series. it was used in cooper's dream sequence yes it was so it is in another world from where Cooper was in his mm-hmm. original world. So, um, again, that could be a portal location. Uh, the fact that Bob was there strongly indicates as much. Yeah. Um, in the in their series arc, then, uh, the fact that we never see it except for as a dream location um, and that the, it's in the Great Northern yes. is kind of a big reveal. That this is, therefore, the buzzing is probably coming from this location. Yeah, from a portal or some kind of doorway. Exactly. We literally see a door yeah, in, this, exactly. in this scene. And so my thing is, if James slash Jimmy opened that door, he would see perhaps himself in the other world. I, I honestly that. think that Bob was in the dream world for Cooper. So it's just another real world where Bob was at that point mm-hmm. in time. Um, and that, therefore... James here is approaching. He's either in uh, original Cooper's dream world right now, yeah, and going to the same location, or he's going into the real Cooper's uh, analog, actual world, actual world analog location. From, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and perhaps perhaps potentially uh, going through a portal into the dream world. Yeah. I mean, again, this is all based on my crazy idea of how the dreams and real worlds work, but. It felt like more confirmation of the potential for that. So yeah, no, absolutely, and and it's it's definitely interesting. It also brings up some questions about the timeline because if this is 
if this is the first time that uh, that somebody has been sent down by Ben Horn to investigate the ringing that Beverly heard, mm-hmm. this is some time before the even the key. He knows about the key having shown up or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so that's interesting. Yeah, it could raise a, an extra concern. But we there. don't we don't find out what happens because the scene just kind of cuts off and mm-hmm. ends uh, with the 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 door that James is looking at, and then a shot of James. It was a very scary scene. And as you were describing, opening the door and James finding himself from the other world, yeah. I, I got chills. That was really... It could be. Um, uh, so so yeah, the, final, the, final, uh, the final important scene, I think, the, the big scene. Well, one of the I don't know, the last scenes, scene is pretty important too. But yeah, the big, the crazy it's, scene, it's, yes. Uh, Elk point, Elk's Point Bar number nine, or Elk's Point number, number nine, nine bar, bar or number nine bar <laughs> Alks points. We can't really tell. Maybe in all the different universes, it's, it's <laughs> all, all di- different ways. It's a range of different ways. Um, it's felt like point, small town Alberta bar. To be it honest. did well, and I'm I've been told there. Are, uh, you know, some of our listeners and other podcasters, the Counter Esperanto guys who are from the Pacific and inland Northwest area, this is small town Washington uh-huh. too. So um, I guess small towns all across you know North America are very much like this. And, and we and see what a, is nice, that, a nice Lindsay? cross what section because yeah. uh, Sarah Palmer walks into the bar. She goes up and orders a Bloody Mary and is immediately accosted by the guy down the bar who uh, can't take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. And I saw a fascinating uh, thread that I've retweeted to our Pickering Peaks account from uh, our Twitter. loyal. What did I say? On Twitter. On Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from one of our loyal listeners, uh, Paleophile, who points out rightfully that um or rightly that this is an experience that women have all the time yeah it's creepy from from the get-go it's not creepy when sarah palmer pulls her face off that's not the moment when it gets creepy it's it's disturbing the entire way through and it's important it's it's supposed to be yeah this is this is an experience it's not something that you would expect someone like sarah to to have she's not the kind of person who would go to a bar first of all well, and she's been drinking pretty hard. Sure, but she, she drinks at home, vodka, right? Yeah, yeah. She's, she doesn't seem like a bar fly, right? Yeah. So for her to go out to the bar on this night, and then for her to have to experience being accosted by someone like, you know, Leo version 2.0, like yeah. this guy, uh, truck, truck, you. truck you is what his shirt says. Like It's a life, it's a world full of truck drivers. Yeah. <laughs> Bula was on to something all those years ago. I, I just think it's, uh, it's, it's disturbing on such a primal level because this is something that is so familiar and the fact that i mean maybe this is clouding my judgment of this scene because i I mean you know i've been hit on at bars before and made to feel really uncomfortable by people wanting to buy me drinks and um situations that you know are just not pleasant so for sarah to firstly well not politely but to to say no i'm not interested and Mm. to be very clear that she she's like please go away Mm -hmm. um she's it's almost like she doesn't want this to go any further because she knows what she's capable of doing and she doesn't want that to happen which makes me think that that she if she's not completely in control of the thing that's that's inside her she's at least aware of what it can do and is trying to stop that from happening so maybe it's not a totally evil thing Maybe it's just evil when pushed. And maybe that's the point. Well, she's being pushed to her breaking point by this guy. I don't know guy. if it's evil at all. Like, yeah, or, yeah, maybe it's not even evil. It's I, just, I think Sarah's it's just in complete reactionary. control of it. Yeah. Honestly, I, I really don't... I think she drinks in order to um, perhaps tamp it well, down. And let's, let's talk about that too. Because, yeah. because what happens is the, the guy approaches her... 
Um, pushes, pushes, pushes. And she says... Threatens him. Threatens yeah. him. Straight up. And then she says, no, I'll eat you. <laughs> yeah. Which is great. And then, and then she, she, pulls, so. she pulls off her face in the same way that Laura did. Mm-hmm. But instead of a bright, blinding white light, we get dark, inky blackness, which reminded us of Mother slash Experiment. We also you get, of Mother slash Experiment. Yeah, it didn't Doesn't, remind you. Well, it but, reminded me of Dougie's uh, smoke when... Uh, uh, he was turned into gold. Couldn't in that be the room. same thing? Couldn't they no, both be the same thing? I don't. I don't think so. I think no. I don't think so. But Either anyways, way, we can get into that. We get um, a pincer that that shoots out of her where her mouth is, um, which reminded us of the fricket. Reminded you of the fricket? I thought okay. it was just electricity <laughs> crackling again. But it's, okay, it's yeah. pretty clear that the it screenshots like have been taken. It's yeah. pretty clear that that's what it is. Yeah. Um, and then. We get a hand that moves across the face yeah. with the spirit finger, the yes. ring finger, blackened Blackened out. and, and so enlarged too, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. so it's it's a dark, uh, evil, um, reminded me of the, the poem from the woodsman, The Dark Within. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the, the dark in the spirit realm, the darkness of, the, of her spiritual self. Mm-hmm. When she replaces her face, she lashes out and... and kills the guy mm-hmm. by taking a chunk out of his neck and he bleeds out on the floor and she feigns innocence but um but not so convincingly that she gets off the hook i think the bartender is very suspicious of her but she's nonchalant about threatening him she's like yeah it's quite a mystery isn't it yeah and gives him like a death glare yeah. and it's like yeah don't fuck with sarah Palmer. <laughs> like that's the summary of this scene exactly Sarah's and that's badass. that's that's where where at the end of the scene i kind of felt like you know what? If I had something living inside me and I was accosted at the bar, yeah, you bet I would yeah. chew his neck off. Yeah. Like it's something that that you want to do. Oh yeah, when that, you've been backed into a corner, you that, lash out. And right? this scene was amazing at setting that up because right away you knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. You got this drunk trucker guy um, who, as soon as he approaches her, you know it's not going to go well. Mm-hmm. Um, just like when uh, Renzo punched DC in the back of the head, you're like, "That's how you're going to die now, buddy." Like yeah. the the show is is punishing evil in a very predictable and and interesting way um because here we've had nothing but violence against women all show and yet we finally have a woman who's uh not afraid to lash out and be and who who finally has power who has something that can that can counteract all the evil that men do Mm -hmm. with her own evil Mm -hmm. um and I want to get into a discussion of what you think this means about Sarah Palmer's character. Right. Uh, because I've seen a lot of people online saying like, oh, this means Sarah is now a representation of evil, unlike her daughter, who is a representation of pure good. I think I, I think the, the spirit or the, the realm that's inside of these women when they reveal, open up their faces, um, is an indication of the character that they've created through their natural uh, going through life. I think Sarah is has been drinking herself silly for 25 years and didn't have a great life even before that she had mental problems probably because she has a frickin inside of her uh, she's married a, a man who uh, drugged her for many years and raped their daughter sarah's had a very difficult life so i think inside the fact that she's a black spirit um who doesn't take shit and will kill people is an indication that yeah she she's not really evil but she, she's had a, a life that has led her to a path where she there's no light left inside of Sarah Palmer. Um, whereas Laura could have gone down a similar path, but died before, but chose death, getting back to Firewalk with me, and, uh, you know, retained the, the goodness of her. It was the good and the bad Laura that was in the diary of, the secret diary of Laura Palmer. 
getting back to that, she chose salvation for the good Laura Palmer. And that's why she has whiteness inside of her. She was saved by the angels and that rescued her from that. Sarah never had anyone rescue her. She just fell deeper and deeper into this terrible life. And it's summarized now after, especially after 25 years of heart drinking, I think, into this gigantic ring finger and a terrifying smile and black oozy gas pouring out of her. So I, I think that's, I think it's more of an indication of the character as opposed to uh, a supernatural element that's taken her over and forced her to become evil. I think it's just a natural reaction of her to uh, her life experiences. Did you kind of agree or do I you don't see, agree at all. you see the exact opposite? I see it differently. Okay. I think that what we've got is um, confirmation that Sarah is the fricked girl, that she's had this creature inside of her all along for some reason, that it helped her birth Laura with the combination of Leland who had Bob in him. So that, that puts Laura in an, in an awkward position of being, you know, not just the daughter of Leland and Sarah Palmer, but of, you know, supernatural entities that have inhabited her parents. Um, and I think that, that I really do think that what's in Sarah Palmer is mother or the experiment. I think that, uh, other people have said it too. It's not an idea, obviously original to me, but, um, there's enough parallels and there's enough visual linkages there to make me think that she is still, she has that personality or that thing or that tulpa maybe in her that is, and, and, and we've wondered about this before, like if mother is really evil or if she's acting as a mother would when her eggs or her chicken chicks or her babies or whatever are being threatened she's going to lash out she's going to you know attack sam and tracy and kill them that's that's the main reason why i think that that mother is inhabiting or inside sarah is because she attacks this guy with the same kind of rapid motion violence that that mother did or the experiment did in new york in in part one that's true so um i don't know what that all means but i think that that what we're seeing is this this ultimate showdown is is going to be with sarah and and it's possible that sarah has had this this in her and that as it ages which is something that, that comes up in tulpa lore is that as this inner um thought form ages it takes on more of a personality and becomes stronger so if sarah has had this in her from the time that she was a young teenager um it's had a chance to grow and become stronger but for the period of time that she was being drugged by leland in order for leland to access laura or for bob to access laura um that that dulled the the entity inside her mm -hmm. and now that leland isn't around to to drug her anymore she's self-medicating i think that part i agree with you mm -hmm. with that this is this is a, a process that she's trying to work through um but i don't think it's evil i don't think sarah is evil i think she's deeply conflicted and i i think that um all of this is leading to some kind of i don't know i don't know what it's leading to yeah, but i no. don't but I don't think that it's it's all bad. No, and I think, yeah, I think uh, Leland's instruction to find Laura, I think is going to yeah. result in Cooper meeting with with uh, Sarah at some point. Um, and I really want to see what happens. At that and see, point. I think that's going to lead to Cooper 
meeting up with Laura. No, I in agree. the real no, world yes, at some point. Me too, but I think okay. he'll get there through Sarah. I think that's because um, Sarah's not going to accept help from maybe from Andy now. I could see that happening, but yeah, it's going to be something else for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, the Roadhouse is proud to welcome Lisi! So the final scene? Roadhouse. The Roadhouse. And it's interesting because we just went back and rewatched a bunch of the ending Roadhouse scenes, and there's quite a few that are just music. There's quite a few where the ending doesn't happen in the Roadhouse, and we have music in other locations. There are a couple where it's completely silent. But the last, well, part 12 and part 14 have these odd, odd conversations where characters are talking about other characters that aren't present, and we don't know. We haven't met them, so we, we have no connection to them, and it's really odd yes, that's but happening. We, this time, though, we do have a connection to who they're talking about. Sort of, yeah, we do. Well, we do. We have Tina, and we have Billy being mentioned. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure that I trust that that's actually what's being said. Well, and, and that's been a, a popular theory, is that... Um, so what we, what we do have is... Um, Two girls, two women. Sophie uh, and Megan. Sophie and Megan. Uh, played by David Lynch family members, which yes. is interesting. Uh, Sophie is uh, David Lynch's wife. And uh, Megan, Megan is, is played, played by, by Shane Lynch. Shane Lynch, sorry. Thank you. But they're um, talking about Billy coming into Megan's home. Yes. And this is the last time that she saw him. So immediately I thought this was Tina. I didn't know yes. until the, yeah, the credits yeah. that this was Megan. But Tina is her mother. Yeah. Who Megan knows has been having a thing with Billy or yeah. did have at some point. Yeah. So Tina and Megan are in the home when Billy shows up bleeding from the nose and mouth, as Audrey said he would be. Um, He bleeds all over the place into their sink and then looks at them and and bolts out the door. And then they have to spend a lot of time cleaning up the blood. Um, There's hints from Sophie that Megan stole a sweater or maybe she's a a klepto or something. She's got some kind of history there with that. But she's also uh, said that you're spending time at the nut house. Right. Which I thought was interesting because there's been a lot of theorizing that Audrey is perhaps in a psychiatric facility and and Billy, her husband, or... Charlie. Charlie. Charlie, her husband's actually a therapist and stuff. So that could uh, potentially... Because Sophie says right out that she doesn't want Megan going to the nut house. Yeah. Potentially because she would have information about Billy yeah. that Audrey wants. Mm-hmm. Um, if Audrey I'm, was there. I'm thinking it's it's not that Audrey's in the nut house. I think that these are uh, references to things that Audrey has been dreaming about because she's hearing them in her coma state or something. So you still think this is not real? I don't think this is... No, I think this might be real, but I think what Audrey is hearing is, is not mm-hmm. real. That she's filtering it through some kind of subconscious... Filtering system. <laughs> sure. But sure. Um, but what what made me suspicious was the fact that uh, up until a certain point, we had Megan at the table, who we didn't know was Megan. Mm-hmm. We thought this was Tina. Well, we didn't I think anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we I, started describing it. Yep. She is talking about her mother having an affair with Billy. And I thought for the longest time, this was going to be Audrey, Audrey yes. was her mother. So when Sophie asks her, what's your mother's name? And she says... It's Tina. The music changes, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm thinking to myself that maybe she's lying. Maybe this isn't yeah. true. Maybe yeah. this is not what is actually happening, and maybe, um, or maybe this is what's actually happening, but it's not what we've been led to believe from 
Audrey's point of view. view. So Audrey isn't what's actually happening. Either way, I think we're dealing with some kind of altered state. Yeah, see, whereas I'm kind of leaning back to where I was at the start of part 12 or 13 when we first saw Audrey. Mm -hmm. 12. Um, Where I thought, no, this could still be real. I mean, it has a weird feeling to it, but it could be this is a whole plot line that we're just getting in the last third of the story Mm -hmm. around Billy. We got one hint of him in whatever it was, part nine or something, when Seven. Bing ran into, yeah, where Bing ran into the diner and said, anybody seen Billy and ran out? And ever since then, we haven't heard about it. Yeah. But now this story is just picking up in the last six hours. Um, and I feel like we might be getting back to that just because um, everything else that's happened in the roadhouse has been grounded kind of in stuff that's happened in the other stories. We've seen uh, Shelley there. I mean, for the most part, the Roadhouse... Negate what I just said. Most of what happens in the Roadhouse doesn't have anything to do with anything. Yeah. Um, but here, the fact that we're connecting so closely back to Audrey's story um, feels like it's not a, a mistake. So No, I don't think it's a mistake. No. So I we, think it's it's your your Yeah, and your point of... Uh, your interpretation of it totally makes... Could happen to Audrey's in a coma and she's hearing these things and create, crafting it into her own story. Maybe... Yeah. Uh, Megan or someone is a nurse at the, the sure. hospital where or it, or it could be that if your theory holds that um that when you dream you access other actual worlds mm-hmm. that Audrey in her dream state is ac- actually accessing this real world mm-hmm. um so our polite bickering has turned into polite agreement, agreement. I think mm. shit that's not good we gotta change the name of our podcast polite peaks polite peaks aww Double P. Polite Peaks. You're wrong about that. (laughs) Um, Uh, The other thing that's interesting about this is that we have reference to Megan's uncle being there. So it's, it's, you know. And she can't remember. No, she can't remember. She says twice she can't remember if her uncle was there. Um, So who's her uncle? What's going on? And it made me think of his mother's sister's girl again from Firewalk with me. With Who's missing? The uncle. Yeah. So it's just, you know, maybe it means nothing. Maybe it's just meant to tease us. Or, or, yeah, or they are... This they're dreaming right now. I mean, this the, these uh, scenes do have a and certain. I'm convinced dream feel. that I'm dreaming right now. I know you can't. As far as I'm concerned, we live inside of a dream. You can't whisper on this. Oh my god, I hate you. Inside of a dream. Are you are you done with? I will tell you three things. So we asked John three questions. John has given us three answers. Aiden hates my intro to this every ah, week. It's so boring. Um, Let's jazz it up. Well, you jazz it up. I'm doing jazz hands. I'm jazzing it up. That's not good. Our it's listeners right. can't see me doing no, jazz hands. No, Just trust me. Not. Just trust me. So first question. Are Diane and Janie E. actually half-sisters, and did Diane have something to do with Dougie's creation? John says, I bet Janie E. and Diane are half-sisters, and I bet Diane did have something to do with the creation of Dougie, in that we just need one single, simple memory of yours kind of way, and that it's backfired horribly. I almost wonder if her violation by Doppelcooper is that mental sort of violation, rather than the simple kind. And that's really interesting yeah. that that it could be that this has been something 
Diane has been plagued with since 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that, that the wheels that led to her estrangement from her sister and all of that started with yeah. Cooper's visit yeah. to her yeah. back then. Yeah, I mean, Diane is such an enigma in this, in yeah. this series. It's lovely because we don't know what happened the last time she saw Cooper. We don't know whose side she's on. We don't know how, even if this connection to Janie E is real mm-hmm. or if it's a plant or something, it's really hard to tell. I love it. I love that we have no idea. and But it feels like it's obviously going to be very important because these are how the plot lines are starting to get connected, yeah. right? So we'll see how it goes from here. Second question. Why is Albert only beginning to remember the scene from Fire Walk With Me with Philip Jeffries? John's response is, maybe memory works like tides right now. Sometimes it's near the front of your memories and sometimes it's washed away seemingly never to return. I suspect memories have something to do with resonance in that you need to be tuned into something before it's real enough to be remembered again. Or when all else fails, it's a time quake aftershock thing. John and his time quake. <laughs> He's sticking with it. I love it. It's great. <laughs> well, it hasn't been disproven. No, exactly. So why not? Yeah. And I mean, if we confirm multiple timelines right away, it's going to be like, all right, let's yeah. see how this goes. Um, yeah. I I think that's a great way. I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot of ways of reading that scene yeah. and them not remembering. Um The fact that Albert and Cole seem to share the memory yeah. indicates that perhaps the thing with Jeffries really happened or as we've we're kind of guessing they're now accessing someone else's memories well and and they don't just share the memory but they share the forgetting of the memory yes. too which is which is even stranger mm-hmm. um so you know it's it's really really open to interpretation but i think the way that this is being kind of broken down for us especially in light of the scene in the woods with the bookhouse boys there mm-hmm. uh really leads me to suspect that that we're seeing dream worlds interacting with real worlds creating alternate worlds in some backwards way way. i don't know four hours left to find out yeah i guess we'll see third question what the hell is inside sarah john says I just heard the Chopping Wood Inside podcast say that the smile looked just like the close-up of Bob's mouth in the Fire Walk With Me convenience store scene. I'll take his word for it as I'm not familiar enough with that movie. And I will say I've seen some screenshots mm-hmm. where they do match it up. It looks a lot like Bob's. It also looks a lot like Laura's. Yeah. So we forgot to mention that there is a, a creepy smile that shows yeah. up. And uh, I think it was Darren Franich from the uh, Entertainment Weekly Twin Peaks podcast that that actually superimposed Laura's um, homecoming picture onto that. And it looked really, really similar. similar. So um, further linking mother and daughter in, in, Mm -hmm. uh, in that way. Yeah. Uh, John continues. Plus it'd be fitting if Laura needs to defeat Bob from the outside while while Sarah defeats him on the inside. Those two women are Bob's worst victims. Though maybe it's experiment. Did it take off its own face behind Sarah? John asks. And is Sarah Sarah or is she a construction? I would think human Sarah might be the noises in the kitchen when quote unquote Sarah is talking to Hawk and it's really a construction of dark just like Lodge Lore was a, a creation of light. I think regardless of who's inside someone that there'd be flesh and bone inside a true human being and that the face trick is not a subtle tell that someone's not human. Yeah. So I agree with you on that part for sure, John. Um, yeah, I mean, there's all those possibilities like 
I, I really don't know. I'm still Sarah's. trying to unpack what John is saying here. So, like, perhaps Sarah, perhaps there are two Sarahs. Right. And, yeah, maybe. Well, I, I, I did see an interesting theory that the, the sound we heard from the kitchen is um, Sarah in another time or another loop mm. going through the motions and she's in the house yeah. at the same time that she's at the front door. Yeah. Um, that could work. Oh, which, that'd be really creepy. Which would be which which makes Sarah Palmer's house like some kind of vortex or or in itself, yeah. you know liminal space in and of itself, which is which is really interesting. Um, Sarah spends a lot of time in the house, so yeah. it's entirely possible that we're seeing something like that happen. But um, but yeah, you've heard us go into enough about all this about stuff. Sarah's yeah, stuff. Like, Maybe um, we should start posting John's answers to this so that. Uh, yeah, or you know what? Just go after him on Twitter and get him to explain it. If we aren't doing a good enough job here, uh, he is at JPB underscore Little Green on Twitter. So go hit him up. You're like the dreamer. Dreams. And then lives inside a dream. Aiden, final thoughts? Final thoughts. Amazing. Yeah, I'd say episode eight and then now episode 14 are my two favorite parts for sure. Yep. Um, your any other final thoughts? I mean, I can just gush about it more if you want. But well, all I know is that this is this has caused me to have the most thoughts about an episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just got things that I want to say and things that I want to think about. Um, I think that's that's a mark of something really special and really unique. And I'm just I'm floored. I'm mm-hmm. absolutely floored. I will say we we didn't bring this up in in the course of our conversation, but um, Freddie makes a Beatles reference. Yeah. To a day in the life. Yeah. I got up, got out of bed, dragged the comb across my head, and I went downstairs and had a cup. <laughs> nah, just kidding about that part. <laughs> and uh, which is, I think, one of the best Beatles songs out there. It's it's. Uh, it's the song that people point to when they want to talk about the, the perfect combination of Lennon-McCartney's sensibilities coming together in one. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm probably going to be writing about this on my 25 Years Later post, so I won't get into it too much, but it's just, to me, underscoring the fact that this is really such a perfect blend of Lynch and Frost to make something that is so beyond anything else that we've ever seen on TV. Um, I'm just like, <laughs> I feel so lucky that mm-hmm. we get to have this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a treat. It's such a blessing. Um, I never thought I would feel this way about a television show. And I really, really loved the original Twin Peaks. Yeah. But this so is this is beyond this everything. Is beyond, yeah. So. Yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah. And there's still four more hours. Is that how we end every week? Like, yes. There's, there's just there's more until the last one when there won't be any more. I won't cry. Our cat's fine, by the way. She even out. She's good. I'm sure you heard that. I'm gonna cut all this out. Don't. If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com/bickeringpeaks. All one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at Bickering Peaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you. 